the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now, back to Lifeline. All right, we are back. The time, 611. Let me go to line number three and talk with Dana in Hayward. Dana, are you there? I am here. Great. What's your comment or observation on our topic today, young lady? Hi. I have a off-topic question, but before I ask it, I want to make a comment on, on what you're talking about today. Sure, sure. I um, have, as soon as you started talking about attack on men that mm-hmm. we have today, I, like, my ears perked right up because I have been thinking this for a long time now, mm-hmm. and I worry so much about my nephews. I have a couple of nephews who are 16 years old. Right. And when I talk to them, when they come to visit and we're, we're interacting, they have no motivation whatsoever to do, to engage in any type of thing that normal 16-year-olds, I think, would want to engage in. Like, of course, they, they go to school and everything, but they don't want to go to prom. They don't want to engage with girls. They don't want to hang out and talk with them at all. They don't want to do anything but play video games sure. with each other. Sure. And they're playing, a lot of these kids are playing by themselves in the room, but with the headsets on with other people and other solo boys in their rooms. Of course. And they're playing very violent games, and they're playing fantasy games, and all of this is encompassed in their brain. And the relationships to have with girls, even guys should have friends that are girls. They should be figuring out how to eventually have a relationship. You know, hanging out, all of that. None of that is happening. And it's not that it's just not happening. They don't want it to happen. You, There's no motivation at all. You they don't are, even want to get their driver's license. Right, you I'm, are. I'm like dumbfounded by it. Now, right, what you. What does this mean for the future of families? Well, I mean, no. yeah, you just stated it. Uh, if you look at the implications of it, your your case scenario, it's perfect, Dana. And I do want to just ad lib on that briefly because I know that um, a lot of times when I bring up topics, they are, you know, topics that are premature in their larger manifestation uh, for this program. And then a month later, two months later, three months, a year later, then all of a sudden it mushrooms. But I'm so glad you call because you are affirming an observation about young men that is pervasive everywhere. And this is why the topic, the title men going their own way is going to be a critical uh, research, valued research for women who care. Uh, you're going to go down a dark hole when you go down this path, but you really do want to go down this path for those young males that you love. This is a dark path, but I want you to go down it because I want you to see how they have developed a society in that particular Internet world, surreal world of Internet that basically has written off relationships with women uh, for all kinds of present uh, liabilities that exist between men and women because of our culture, because of our society, because of the fact that we have such a strong trajectory 
of female escalation and success and and dominance and a narrative that does not have uh, in view the alpha male as a critically important thing to our society because we have been dealing for so long with the uh, battle of the sexes. And you know this as well as I do. Being married, you know there's an intrinsic uh, conflict that you have to fight against all the time. And these young men are coming up without any motivation uh, to want to actually even begin to talk to girls and date girls because of all of the abuse and negativity and impact that women now can foist upon men because they are in positions of power. And I'm giving you the clean version. It goes bad and it goes deep. And it impacts not only the secular world, but the Christian world as well. And I'm hoping over these 45 minutes, uh, we'll be able to have that conversation more thoroughly. Um, so you really did help our, our audience out with that, with that, with that observation. So now what is your, your, your question you wanted to talk about? Okay. I have a quick question. Um, the question about the doctrine of predestination and evangelism. So I know um, my purpose is to be a Christ ambassador, to get out there, share my faith, talk to people. Um, but I also know that anything I do is not—I can't save anybody, that God can only do that. He can only bring the revelation. Right. That I'm just um, a tool that he's using. Right. What I'm, uh, what I'm trying to figure out is I hear lessons and, and different ministers preaching— about the fact that we have to go and share our faith, but um, also if we and if we don't, if we give in to fear and we don't open our mouth, then we could be missing that one person's opportunity to hear God's word, and we don't want that to happen. So that motivates me, you know, fear-wise. But I don't know how that how that matches with the fact that it's not about me. Well, and then also James 5.19 right. says, my brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from their error of his ways will save them from death and cover a multitude of sins. Right. Along the same line, I have a question. My question is, uh, is the same. Yeah, I, I got it. I fully get okay. it. It's classic. This is a classic one and easy to resolve. You were in class last Friday. Um, uh, not, not this last Friday, Friday before, um, where I talked about, um, source and instrumentality and outcome as three categories by which God engages his purposes in our world. When we call God sovereign, we are saying that God is the source from which all things proceed. That means he's the first cause of everything. Everything proceeds from God for of him, through him and unto him be all the glory. Now, and I said also that God almost always uses means, instrumentality, uh, by which to accomplish his purposes. Therefore, the idea of predestination asserts that what God will accomplish first originates with his own purpose, design, decrees, plans, will, etc., but how he executes that is through an instrumentality or a means or vehicles. And this is where uh, he employs people in the process of saving other people, i.e. If you are going to be saved or I'm going to be saved, it's going to be by us hearing the gospel. Well, God is not the one preaching the gospel to us. It's another person like us preaching the gospel to us. 
Now, God has predestined you and I to hear the gospel, but he's also predestined us to hear it through somebody else. And therefore, that somebody else in obedience of faith because of love working in their heart, willing to share the gospel with somebody shares that gospel with you. Well, we know that God used them to share the gospel with you and with me. And by that gospel, we became saved for by faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I know you agree with that where the statement is fallacious and you would never hear me say that nor the men that I teach that while God has commanded us to go into all the world and preach the gospel, that the notion that one of God's elect would be lost if I didn't go preach to him or preach to her is an alien concept in scripture and unworthy of even coming out of the mouth of any so-called preacher. Meaning God has never, ever put his infallible plan of saving anyone totally in the hands of you and me. He would <laughs> woe unto God if it all depended on us to get the work of saving men and women done. No, Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. Remember? But right. God, but are you there, girl? Are you there? Yes. All right. Remember Jonah? Yes. Didn't want to go, did he? Nope. But eventually God gave him a little persuasion, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> now, God didn't have to use Jonah. He could have used anybody else, could he? Right. And the point is, is that uh, if it's predestined for you to be a means by which somebody's going to be saved, it's an honor for you and me to do it. I, I've been the means. You, this Sunday, we're going to have uh, 12 or 15 people get baptized. I've been the means of people coming to Christ for years. But I never fall under the assumption that if I don't go out and share the gospel or preach the gospel, uh, those people are going to perish because I didn't do my job. That's utterly ridiculous. God can set me aside and he can use anybody else. Just like Jesus said, these stones will praise me if you don't. So God has never, ever put the kind of burden on you and me that says if we don't do it, it won't get done. No, if we don't do it, though, Dana, God will use somebody else. Right. And he has always done that. And so we never want to mix up predestination with human responsibility and pit them over against God to say that human responsibility is a much more superior uh, and and necessary contingent than God's sovereign predestination. That would be uh, humanism. Uh, And unfortunately, some pastors teach that. But no, don't ever be uh, conflicted about the fact that you will fail to share the gospel sometimes with people. In fact, we fail to share the gospel with people a lot. We don't have all of the insight into the uh, inscrutable ways in which God makes sure that people who are going to hear the gospel hear it. For instance, you and I heard the gospel from several different people in several different ways under several different circumstances, and we don't know how God used all of that collaboratively to bring us to one point when when we finally heard the gospel in a saving way, it changed our lives. But that's what God does. He uses many things to bring about his purpose of salvation in people's lives. So rest in this reality that if we don't do it in our laziness or disobedience, it's sin. No doubt about it. Um, 
but we've got to have another conversation down the line on that because there's no way in the world I would teach an evangelism that has you feeling like the whole world is on your head. And if you don't do something, they won't be saved because the Bible would not even teach that. It wouldn't teach you to be driven by a kind of fear and a kind of uh, <clears throat> Uh, emotional paralysis, a kind of over-the-top uh, anxiety that says you need to go out and confront everybody you meet. The Bible would not say it like that whatsoever. Men do that. We do that. We press home those kind of irrational uh, uh, um, outcomes when, in fact, what God is simply saying in Matthews 28, as you go, share the gospel. That's what it means. That's that's not uh, uh, that's not a verb there. Go ye into all the world. It says as ye go, as you go about your life, as you're living your life, as you're being part of the culture, as you go into the store, as you're going hither and yon, you look for an opportunity to share the gospel. You never kick a door in. You never offend someone. You never force an issue. You simply live out your life in communion and fellowship with God, looking for an opportunity to share it. And if the door opens, share it. If it doesn't open, then it wasn't time. Right. And, you know, Pastor, I think I think I know that, but there's something still. And, you know, I come from 20 years at a church where it was literally the every single day grind. Right. And that's what it was. It was a grind. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You got it. of numbers and how many people did you share your faith with? And you got to get out there and go share your faith. And if you're not, you're going to hell. And yeah. So I think I, I'm trying to get over that, right. but I think there's still a little part of me that still, you know, has that in me. And so every time I come across it, it you know, I freak out. And anyways, I'm working on it. Uh huh. And, 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 and God and God gave me. you a good husband to help you on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's been trying to help me on it. <laughs> I'll talk to y'all later. Blessings. All right. right, I got to take a break. Way overdue. When I come back, Roll D, Deborah, and Nika. I will get you one line open, 1-888-367-5329. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. And we are back. The time 631 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Let me go to line number four and talk with Roll D in San Jose. Roll D, are you there? Oh, yeah, I'm here. How are you? And I'm blessed, bro. I'm uh, blessed to be breathing. I'm blessed to be alive. I'm blessed to be able to speak to, you know, all the brethren and sisters out there right now. And I got a, I got a testimony of uh, a lot of pain. And I feel like, you know, today was a day that uh, the Lord wants me to share some of this and uh, possibly help others going through similar things. That is right. It's right on track related to the topic. Sure. Uh, talking on. Sure. Holler at me, man. Okay, man. Um. So basically, just a quick testimony and update is, uh, you know, I'm born and raised in San Jose, mm-hmm. California, and uh, I grew up, you know, a real good suburban kid in a, you know, middle class uh, family, and, uh, you know, everything was all perfect and dandy and whatnot, and uh, sure enough, you know, my sister developed anorexia, I had an overprotective mother, Yeah. my brother in college developed brain cancer that was growing in his head for eight years. Wow. And when all this happened, I was the youngest, you know, my grandfather was dying at the same time, and this whole thing just shattered me, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. it, it brought me into, you know, extreme drug use, mm-hmm. from opiates to party drugs, mm-hmm. to, you know, my entire life was about getting high, and even though I got saved when I was 18 through this devastation of going to church, I got saved at a Bible study, and, you know, I kid you not, I had chills down my entire spine when I admitted Jesus Christ was Lord. Sure. So I already know 
straight off the bat, they say it's not a feeling, but I mean, I felt something at the same time. So, sure, sure. you know, I, I, I felt his grace fall upon me. And uh, that was back when I was 18 and I was, I was a new Christian. I was born and raised to atheist, you know, and uh, that was new to me. And uh, I didn't know what a Christian life entitled. So I spent, I spent about a good 10, 10 years of uh, the Christian walk, most of it backsliding while I was learning. Right, you know, right, right. While, while, the, while God was building me up, he was putting me through trials and tribulations. Mm-hmm. He had to break me so I could get that breakthrough, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, I've done, I've done nearly every drug and partied with every girl, and, you know, chasing after the world is inevitable, and you find yourself more lost and more lonely than anything. And uh, that's, what, that's what this media and the, the world we live in, um, you know? And you could, you could blame the politicians and, and all this nature, but the truth is, is the devil's behind it all. I know? agree. We know this. He's walking around right now, and he's the mastermind behind this whole thing, and he has people like strings under his fingers. You know, people will go into all this stuff, oh, it's the aliens. It's the... I don't know how far that goes, but I know for sure, for sure, that the devil exists, he's real, and he's manipulating things. And when it comes to men right now in our generation, this is, this is what's going on. And uh, long story short, um, I basically got to a point where I actually, you know, met a girl that, that's been changing my life. I actually just asked her to marry me. Okay. So shout out to Christina right now. Awesome. Uh-huh. awesome. I, got, I, got a, I got a 10 month year old baby named uh, Israel. All right. Uh, yeah. I'm super blessed right now. You know, my brother's not here. He died of cancer to, to see it all, but I know he's watching over me, and uh, he came to Christ before he died. Great. And I, I feel like God brings that entire thing into existence for us both to come to the Lord. And, you know, I'm, I'm praying for the rest of my family to come to God as well. But back to, back to the subject, I'm at a place now where I, I'm a more well-developed, more groomed Christian. Um, I realize that, you know, it's not all about following the law, but it's also not about not following the law. Agreed. I'm at a point now where where I'm, I'm becoming really well-groomed. I, I, I go to church. Um, I'm hearing the Word. I'm in my Bible. I'm in prayer. Um but something happened about five years ago. I've been sober now off hard drugs for about, like, two and a half years. Okay. But something's slowly been developing in my mind, um, which ended up, I ended up in the ER for, which was uh, obsessive-compulsive disorder. Sure. And I, I ended up having intense, intrusive thoughts. And, you know, I was diagnosed with OCD. They yep. got me on medication. And you know what? At first, the medication was working. And I just want to go in. I spent over millions of hours talking to myself, right. you know, fighting intrusive thoughts, all kinds of different, nothing violent or, or anything on that level, but just like really, you know, just disgusting thoughts that sure. I knew were coming from the devil. They weren't sure. coming from me, sure. you know, and I knew some of the thoughts were coming from my own mind and from my own sin, and then other thoughts were coming from, I, I was demonically oppressed. Sure. And they marked this demonic oppression as a mental illness, and because the secular world they don't see the unseen world, you know. They don't. They don't believe in it. They don't see it, and they they mark you with a mental illness, and they tell you you can't ever fully get better. We could give you things and methods and secular psychology and uh, secular psychiatric uh, treatments and you know secular belief systems that will help you cope and get like fifty percent better or whatever. But they don't tell you that you could be fully healed from this thing. Right. And I'm not. I'm not fully healed yet, but I'm on my way there, and I'm learning now that. You know, you don't need this medication. In fact, this medication, I, I'm starting to believe that there is no chemical imbalance of the brain. Even though I, I did a lot of drugs, which possibly could have caused a chemical imbalance in my brain, 
You know, I believe that the brain heals itself. You know, it is it is one of the most uh, mechanical organisms or organs in your body that well, God created, and God gives you a way to heal it yourself. And a lot of these drugs that they put you on down the line create other mental illnesses and make you worse off than you started once they stop working and you become immune to it. And in the end of the day, we're dealing with deep trauma that that has occurred, especially through you know the media and uh, what they the lifestyle the secular world gets you to live creates deep trauma that you need uh, a healing process to put your mind in, and the healing process that the world gives you outside of the church, you know, is is based off beliefs that are false and is misleading and is a deception of the devil to keep you sick your entire life. Now, what and, I'm gonna do, what I'm gonna do, because you 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 know you can talk, Roddy, you know that, right? <laughs> what I'm going to do is sum up everything that you're saying, because of, we, we got to take a break here shortly. Um, you ha- you gave an excellent testimony, my brother. I'm going to tell you something. You need to you need to think about your gift, what your calling is, because when God brings us up out of very difficult and dark places, I grew up in the drug culture as well. I know a lot of what you're talking about. What you want to do is ask God to grace you. To become not not only knowledgeable of his word of the scriptures, as you sound like you are becoming, Rodi, but you also want to become much more knowledgeable about the path from which you came, because there are a lot of brothers and sisters who need to hear your story and hear how God is delivering you. But there's going to be for you a need to um, embrace a kind of learning that's going to require you to be a little bit more humble because you were saying some things that were not. Correct. Uh, And I'm going to leave it at that relative to um, and we have a tendency all to do it if we're not careful throwing the baby out with the bathwater. You don't want to do that. We certainly know we're dealing with a demonic world. We know we're dealing with an adversary who goes to and fro seeking whom he may devour. We know we're living in a dark world and the carnal mind is enmity against God. We know that we know that God heals. We are absolutely sure of that. But he also uses very good medical resources. He uses very good uh, analysis given to us by men and women who are experts, even in a secular context. It's just that one has to be very discerning about the resources. Many of their resources have biblical frameworks behind them, even though they don't give God the glory. So what I want to see you do is continue to go down the path of healing that God is calling you on. Look for more homeopathic remedies to some of the psychological uh, challenges that you may be having with your OCD, and you can become well enough to be God's ambassador for Christ to the community of men and women uh, that have been trapped as you were trapped, my dear brother, so that God will send you back into that community to help liberate them from many of the bondages that we know occur when we grow up in the kind of brokenness that you were describing. You blessed a lot of us, man. Thanks for the call. Um, Let me go to line number uh, one and talk with Deborah in San Francisco. Deborah, are you there? Yes, I'm still here. How are you? Hi, Pastor Jesse. How are you? I'm good. Okay, what's your question, observation, or comment? Well, I didn't get the first hour of your... um, you know, um, what was the word? I can't have been on here. Monologue, monologue. Yeah, monologue. Yeah, I can't. Yeah, I didn't get the first, but I got a little bit of it. You guys just talking about political stuff. Okay. But um, I was just 
you know, this word, I've been hearing this word um, from different uh, pastors, maybe pastors, might have been some other, mostly I listened to you and a few other people. And have you ever heard of the word um, feminized? I've been hearing that a lot. Feminized? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that's what um, I heard this uh, man talk about that, putting it in the contents where young men, because I have three sons, and um, one of them just turned 30. Okay. And I'm just hearing a lot of stuff, even with the young lady called, the lady called, which says she had the nephew with the video. Right. And um, so basically, it was saying feminized, meaning men, young men, they are, you know, like you were saying earlier, some some men, young men, a lot of young men, especially black young men, are raised by their their mothers. True. Fathers are not in the house. True. So then, therefore, when they um, when they you know raise that way, and then they trying to see their way, they don't have an example. They don't have a male role model. So then they get the girlfriends, and the girlfriends. Or even, I'll back up a little bit, like if they have a maybe um, some spots on their records or something, maybe they had a couple of arrests or something like that, they kind of, after going through all that, well, having a little arrest, and then they get with the girls, and the girls have a little more than they do. Sure. So they cling, they cling to the, the, the young girls, because I, ex- I have experienced that with my son. And, um, and he's 30 now, and he's basically doing the same thing even still right this is um this is partially what we're dealing with um what we're talking about today has to do with young men who have had very negative experiences with women um and some who have just vowed not to ever engage in what is often a very toxic relationship where because a lot of our men, uh, Deborah, are disadvantaged because of bad choices they may bring growing up because of uh, poor educational development, because of a lack of economic opportunity and many different things. Unfortunately, women today have a lot of power, a lot of voice, a lot of control over um, over their lives, and rightly so. But it ends up becoming an abusive kind of relationship, uh, and young men are starting to say, I'm just not going to subject myself to a female-dominated culture and a narrative that basically keeps me as a kind of wuss uh, because women don't quite, uh, a lot of women don't know how to value and appreciate really good men. This is the the bottom line. While we spent many, many decades and many, many years in the West liberating our women from abuse, liberating them from misogyny, liberating them from discrimination, liberating them from all sorts of aberrant behavior, we never did instill in them the radically important characteristic of knowing how to value a good man so that our women have a default mechanism to basically make sure they are in control, if not dominating the man. And this, there's a major pushback going on in our culture because of it and um, what we want to do is pray for and begin to encourage our young men and our young women
women to be biblical in their model of understanding how to interact because it's devastating. It's destroying our lives, destroying our families, destroying relationships. Men going their own way is a new agenda, a new program, a new uh, pattern that's leading a, a lot of young men into very bad practices, very bad conduct. And all of this, Deborah, is part of the destruction of the Imago Day that God ordained in Genesis one twenty six and 27 when he says, let us make man in our image. Let us make him in our likeness. Let us make them male and female in the image of God created he them, male and female created he him. Not for a male to become another male on a sexual level or a female to become a female on a sexual level, but for the men and to women to complement each other in relationships by which legitimate biological procreation can take place in the world. Such a destructive breakdown is going on all over the world that uh, men and women are at variance with one another. This is why we have the whole gender spectrum of 72 identities and growing today is because we don't know how to honor ourselves as men and we don't know how to honor ourselves as women and we don't know how to honor each other as men and women. Thank you, Deb, for the call. I got to take a hard break. When I come back, uh, Erica and Nika, we will close out the Monday edition of Lifeline. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. All right, let's go to line number two and talk with Nika in Oakland. Nika, are you there? I am here. How are you doing, Pastor Jesse? I'm great. What's your conver- What's your uh, comments or observations about our topic? Great. Um, yeah. So, really, um, I just really have a, um, a comment. So, first of all, I would just like to now you all that- you sound like you in the woods running through brushes and bushes and stuff. Is that better? Yeah, that's a lot better. Okay. And you got to cut your yeah. radio down because I don't like listening to me. All right, that should that should be it should be good now. All right. So I just want to um, just first of all just say just just kind of like a, a praise report or just to say that I thank God for men who live like according to God's purpose, and I just called it like give a testament, you know, concerning my dad. My dad is a wonderful man. Excellent. I have wonderful pastors. Um, my earliest recollection of, you know, just my dad. My dad is the one who led me to Christ. I remember as a little girl to have terrible nightmares. I would get up and go to my parents' room. My dad would get up to pray for me mm-hmm. and send me back to bed, and those nightmares were resolved as a result of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know that in society, men are oftentimes, as you have um, previously stated, um, kind of like, um, you know, just this this place pretty much. Totally. But, um, I just want to say that we need men. Men, you're needed. Um, you're important. You're necessary. And just like a, my my uh, bishop who is, was in his 80s when he passed away in 2016, um, he was. I mean, just a gentleman, a kind man, a loving man. I remember walking in church one winter evening and I didn't have a coat on, and I don't really wear big coats. But he asked me, "Where's your coat?" Um, why don't you have on a coat? I was like, I don't really wear big coats. He was like, you know, well, you need a coat. Go buy a coat, and whatever it costs, um, you I'll know, I will it. give you the money. Yeah. Over and over and over again. Yeah. You know, when we would go out to eat, my pastor would just pay for everybody. He would give us money going through high school, going through college. 
so um, and all of that, you know, validated me as a woman, yeah. always speaking into my yeah. life of what God has called me to be as a woman, what I should accept, yep. what I shouldn't accept, to go for what, you know what I'm saying, I just desired in life and that I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And it, it has a lot to do with what I am today. Um, and in closing, even when I, you know, dating and all that, I would speak to, you know, just some, uh, some man, and I'm an adult. Um, speak to a man in my family if I'm really considering dating. I talked to my pastor about dating this one guy and um, who had started coming to our church, but he was not faithful in coming. And he was like, oh, I need to call and see where this guy is coming from. And he called this previous pastor, and it was disclosed a lot of things about this guy that was not right. Sure. Um, so we learned that. So I just thank God for positive male involvement, positive male impact, and just the difference that it makes in a life experience in our homes, in our communities, in our churches. Men, we need you, and we need you according to God's design. Listen, can be it. it's, that was powerful. I really appreciate that. It really does need to be said way more than it's being said, Nika. And I'm glad that you are a strong enough young lady to be able to do that and not feel like you are losing something or cowering. Thank you for that testimony. It really does speak to the men in your life. And that's what we want to create. We want to produce. We want to develop the kind of men that can actually give women the freedom to be godly women and be able to demonstrate and express very plainly that we need each other. Thank you for that call, my sister. You call anytime. Let me close with Erica on line number three. Um, Erica, are you there? I'm here, Pastor. How are you? I'm good. What's going on? What's your thoughts? Uh, Thank you for tackling this topic. I really appreciate you bringing this to light, and I appreciate the way that you're able to, you know, kind of sift through um, the negativity and parse through some of that, um, you know, really really divisive rhetoric that these groups use because they are saying something. They are, they are, there is something, there is a message underneath it. And I had an opportunity to kind of get into that and delve into it after a colleague of mine told me that she was, she was going to investigate the issue for her master's thesis. So she explained it to me. And I initially was sort of miffed. I thought, oh, that's so weird. You know, I'd never really even bothered to think about, you know, these kind of factions. Sure. I I didn't think there was anything to it. And then I started, it was sort of weird after she brought it to my awareness. Then I kind of started to see a little bit more and more and more. And, um, you know, Initially, I was offended. Initially, I was defensive. Yep. You know, I thought, of course, these people are bitter. These people yep. are, you know, this is just bitterness. And after a while, I started to, you know, sort of agree with some of the things that they were saying. And I didn't have any choice but to have compassion for them. I really felt bad that this was sort of what they were going to resort to because of what society had done to them. 
Agreed. And and uh, even though uh, I wish you I wish we had more time because I would love to have actually did a little bit more of a systematic unfolding of both sides. I really hope this uh, creates a thirst on the part of people to understand, Erica, that what I am actually doing is trying to be proactive for our 12 year olds and 13 year old and 14 year old boys who are being surrounded by a mountain of negativity inferred in implied both explicitly and implicitly because of an over-the-top culture that we're in that for some of our boys they will not be able to freely execute an alpha male presence to overcome all that negativity and will collapse into these uh into these labyrinths that uh men going their own way has opened up because of the un the surreal world of internet they will they will find these other uh, wolves and find these other uh, sheeps and find these other communities and begin devolving into drugs and pornography and uh, perversions of all kinds as an alternative to what the Bible would call a healthy male-female relationship framework. And you and I know this is in our churches, and this is why relationships are so very difficult today. Um, because these tentacles still lie there. We have to really be radical about honoring malehood, honoring femalehood, like our previous sister who called it, and then bringing a biblical remedy to the problem for ourselves as adults and then for the downline, because it's only going to get worse. It's only going to get worse unless the power of the gospel is able to bring about that kind of biblical equality of honor and love and uh, and confession uh, that Nika brought about how we need each other and need to be committed to that kind of transformation. And those people who are in these communities only are doing what they're doing because they don't have Christ. And so we ought to be sympathetic for them because they are our sons, our daughters, our nieces, our nephews, our cousins, our brothers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So thanks for bringing it to my attention. All right, you guys, I got to go. I'll talk to you next time. Until next time, keep your eyes on Christ. He is really the glory of the invisible God. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.